Welcome to What Bubbles Up. Pop open your mind and a cold one and get creative with your hosts, Bill and Barry. What bubbles up? What's poppin' everybody and welcome to episode 8 of this season of What Bubbles Up. Woohoo! A show about ideas. Where do they come from and how do you know when they're truly great? Oh, Barry, this is going to be good. See, yes. this is the, there there are certain times on the show <laughs> when I know it's sort of like really capturing the zeitgeist and I have to say the conversation we're going to be having this evening is the conversation that everyone in our profession in our industry and fellow designers and creators yes. alike need to be having right now. Yeah. Uh, and looking forward to having this conversation with an old friend and a returning champion. But before we do, the all-important question at hand, Barry, is what are you drinking? Well, Phil, I went deep into the fridge and sort of picked out something that I think is topical, right? We're going to spend a bunch of time talking about a friend of ours who wrote a really uh, provocative article that he published with his brother. And we're going to talk with him from India. So when you're talking to two people in India, you have to have a double IPA. So I'm boom, <laughs> the boom sauce from Lord yes. Hobo. Let me fire this up. There we okay. go. Okay. Excellent. All foamy. What are you drinking, Phil? All right. I uh I went shallow in the fridge. <laughs> uh <laughs> so when you're having uh a a conversation uh and really figuring out a very, very challenging problem. Sometimes instead of going big, you got to go back to first principles and yep. keep it really basic. Go back yep. to the basics. So that's what I'm doing. I have got a Michelob Ultra, <laughs> oh which is as basic as it gets. And I'd <laughs> like to say this was a deep choice, but really I bought a case of it for a block party and it got canceled. And so in exchange for the carb reduction, it's only mm. 2.6 carbs. Mm. I'm going to have two. So <laughs> here we go. Let's well, pop it good. open. All right, good. There we well, go. While Phil is while Phil is firing that up, um, let us uh, welcome once again into what bubbles up, Suf Syed, who is joining us from Bangalore, India, where it is seven a.m. right now. So, Suf, I'm assuming you are not drinking, but I don't know what you tell us. What are you are you going to be drinking at seven a.m. in India? No, not really. Although, <laughs> although I still feel like I'm on Seattle time. Uh, yeah, not really. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no chai, nothing of that. Yeah, uh, yeah. that that would be my preferred drink right now because yeah. I'm in. India. Um, I think, at least, I I left India about well 14 years ago, and yeah. the, the drinks here of choice have changed significantly. Mm. Um, <laughs> So if if I was drinking something, my preferred drink would be some kind of iced masala chai. So uh -huh. wow, that sounds delicious. I love it. Love it. I love, love it. it. All right, let's dive in here. So Suf, you have set the internet afire here. Uh, so Suf is uh, for people who hopefully remember is uh, deep in the caverns of Microsoft, sort of like thinking about generative AI and AI tools. Um, and just recently published a report with his brother, actually, that's called the End of Design Report, right? And so it talks about the state of design, what is happening with AI, and sort of predicts the future, Suf. Um, why don't we just dive right in? Like, what was the inspiration, I guess, for you sort of like publishing this opus um, with your brother? Yeah, I think um, for the... For, for quite some time, I had been reflecting on my journey as a self-taught designer. Mm. Uh, 
for, for a lot of those who don't know, I have a background in computer science and HCI. Um, so design has kind of always been close to my heart. Uh, my title is product and design. So I have I have a little bit of a benefit of sharing mm-hmm. uh, product space as well as the design space. And I've always seen those two things blend together from the very beginning as well. Mm-hmm. But the reason why we kind of wrote this report was this deep-seated belief that something something has to change about the industry, mm. uh, which is why I kind of start off in chapter one as almost an acknowledgement of what's happening across the design landscape, uh, what's broken, because I, 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 I sincerely believe that in order to move forward in this era of intelligence with AI and LLMs and machine learning taking over, you almost have to recognize what's broken within the industry today. Mm-hmm. And then move forward with understanding, okay, here's here's how significant this change is. And if we don't, and if we're not willing to change, then, you know, it's, it's kind of scary times. Um, I also don't want to create a doomsday scenario. I think there are a lot of people out there who are questioning some of these things. I know, yeah, yeah. Uh, Barry, you, you, you yourself are asking a lot of these questions as to how do your team scale moving forward. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's the right and most opportune time to have this conversation. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. an office. A lot of people have called it the tome and different things. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But primarily because it's it's how I like to consume information. When you make a claim as big as the end of design, you need to back it up with a strong... It's not, it's not going to be a, a simple article. It's not going to be a LinkedIn post. It has to be a lot more enriching and, and, and informing than that. So that's, yeah. that's what God is doing there. Well... I mean, it's certainly uh, fantastic clickbait, but it's also got a whole lot of substance to it. And one of the things that you really challenge people like me, people like yourself, actually, and by the way, uh, you, you shouldn't uh, sell yourself short. We've always known you as a great designer and a great product person. And so you definitely uh, <laughs> yes. uh, have, 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 have a right to criticize both. But it really comes down to a, a couple of things that you really claim design leaders specifically, but really the design community at large uh, has missed out on, which is a great opportunity to be good business partners. If I, if I could just sort of summarize your, your, uh, your challenging statement uh, up front, but why is that the case? I mean, you kind of break it down um, uh, in a lot of ways, but what's our point of departure here? What, what have a lot of design leaders gotten wrong? Um, And, and, for folks who haven't read it, please do. You can download it from his personal website, susaya.com. He takes us to task. Uh, so yep. I, I yep. give, give you the floor and, and uh, tell us yeah. uh, Be, how bad we up. What, what did we mess up here, Suf? Chapter one. Yeah, I think I think a lot of it is is just the rigor of building high-performing businesses is not there. Um, mm. Many instances, especially the startups, you hire your first designer when you want to make your customer-facing website a little more pretty. And there comes in a designer who kind of beautifies that. And that fundamentally is, is, is flawed and it's broken. You don't see many design founders because they lack the execution skills. So mm. at a startup layer, you have that misrepresentation of design as a craft and what it actually and fundamentally can bring to the table because it is so hard to go out and become a design design partner or even raise money as a design founder because the question that they will ask, and I think Brian Chesky also said this on the stage at at Config, is they were designers from RISD. 
and they had to raise money and 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 that, whatever that history was with Airbnb. So I think when you see it at that startup layer, you see a disconnect with how designers enter the startup ecosystem today, mm-hmm. because the emphasis is on engineering founders and at least program or product yep. business. Yeah, right. Um, on the in in the larger organization side, you see a lot of designers who make their way to head of design without actually having built businesses. And there's this amazing Steve Jobs quote that you know he he or this interview where he says that consultants don't have a lot of battle scars in building good, strong foundational businesses and scaling yeah. them. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. that's the same problem that we're seeing with designers where you're part of the concept phase, but not necessarily the scale. Like, sure, it may be up, up until launch, but not necessarily the scaling phase because, you know, yeah. your ideas are only as good as how they're executed in the market. So I see those two disconnects across. And essentially, in larger organizations, a lot of the designers and the design leaders shift away from the business and focus on the pixels and design systems, not mm-hmm. really the larger ecosystem. Yeah, the so they're like, they they... They have a hard time branching away from the craft and the beauty and the art of what they're doing to kind of recognize. I mean, the way I kind of interpret it is there's a shift that happens in design to where you're instead of making something beautiful or enticing or alluring or humorous, you're actually making something that solves a problem. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that ironically can be ugly or not funny or not particularly sort of charming to read or whatever. And so as a creative or as a designer, Sometimes you, it's like the aesthetic sort of becomes the uh, the siren that sort of and you just sort of crash on the rocks over that every time as opposed to really kind of focusing on, I think, what true business founders focus on, which is actually solving a problem, even if it's sort of a raw, ugly way to do it. Hmm. Yeah, and, and, and what I've also noticed in, in, in larger, mature organizations where design does have a seat at the table they're still seen as execution partners or mm-hmm. partners in execution, right. mm-hmm. but not necessarily partners in leadership. And you see that because I point this out in a report as well. All the design leaders that you've seen are reporting to an engineering or a product leader. And yeah. that yeah. fundamentally is a huge problem because while they might have the same title across the organization, they're still in service of a product or an engineering or a marketing organization. Right. And that, again, is, is a huge, huge issue. Well, it's it, it, it also speaks to this notion of, uh, well, you, you said sort of a feeder function to to uh, almost like a staffing vendor within within the within yeah. the apparatus. Um, and and this and, and with that comes. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is sort of my perception of, how, of where you're coming from. A a preciousness coupled with a constant stance of defensiveness about the craft. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's be real. Yeah, I, the, I, I love that articulation, Phil, so much. I, I I don't think I've heard that articulation before, but that is yeah. very, very... It's the Michelob Ultra talking. That's <laughs> what it is, too. <laughs> it's a magic elixir, my friends. Uh, yeah. But, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think I think uh, I think a lot of designers treat their craft as as extremely precious, right? Yeah. Like they want to protect, and and there is that defensiveness that's very innate to a lot of the work that, especially at the junior levels, are doing. Um, and I have seen that time and time again. So very yeah. well said. 
So now you're like, okay, Rembrandt, you think you're cool? (laughs) Here comes AI. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so like AI, generative AI in particular, I mean, I was actually talking with someone today and the thing that's remarkable to me is the stuff that I figured AI or generative AI would be really good at, which is sort of the more simple, logical sort of like coding and things like that. But, but this stuff is also where you have to be perfect. Generative AI can struggle at a little bit. And the stuff that I thought would be a lot harder for generative AI to really kind of think through the more sort of like, human writing style or really sort of artistic expression of like images generative AI is better at. And I think part of it is because there's a little bit of gray haziness that you can kind of have in both writing and in the art and you can't, but what it does is it really for someone who I think has sort of prided themselves on the preciousness of their craft, it's a huge slap in the face, wake up call, right? Let me talk about Suf, what you're sort of talking about in chapter two here around how generative AI is game changer. Um, yeah, I think I think it's also, it depends on the context, right? Mm. So um, what a lot of people call hallucination in a very different context would be creativity, right? Yeah. Whether it's, it's writing a prose, uh, writing the next, you know, the blockbuster movie, um, or even creating a beautiful image out of just a prompt. And I think that context, in the context of design and in the context of creativity, you have a lot of freedom to go out and explore things and 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 kind of have serendipity baked into that process. But on the extreme end of that spectrum is if you want to do scientific research, yeah. you don't need that hallucination. You don't need that. You need mm-hmm. creativity, but you need a, a, la- a layer and probably multiple layers of authenticity of how you deduce a certain uh, you know, hypotheses. So I think, again, it depends, and, and the context completely varies. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, one, of the, one of the fascinating things that we're seeing is this sort of, this artificial layer, pun intended, uh, of things on existing enterprise products, like a co-pilot, yeah. uh, which is essentially, you know, pussy for the 21st slapping century. Slapping the feature yeah. on there. Yeah. Slapping the feature on the current product. Yeah, yeah. Um, what are some of the other things that are kind of trending into generative AI for the enterprise, but we're not quite there yet, and 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 also maybe help us sort of separate the the signal from the noise when it comes to, you know, where where the tools are doing it right and where they're just doing it as a as a as almost like a plugin. Yeah, I so um, I I like that phrase slapping and slapping AI into existing tools because I think that. <laughs> That the the adjacent immediate is 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 what's happening, right? Yeah. Like you have brand new technology, uh, tech, which, which fundamentally is a platform, uh, but it's being treated as a feature within existing products that are yeah. billions of dollars in revenue, right? Mm-hmm. From everything from Google Search to Office to all the other great tools that we use every day. So you have these amazing tools that churn out revenue. Uh, but rather than rethinking how this is a fundamental paradigm shift, you're mm. using that and applying it as, and I think that's that's a very natural state to be in as an industry right now. So that it's it's not a critique in any ways. For for innovation to continue happening, you have to bring in this new platform into existing tools and see where where you shift towards it. Um, and I think you're seeing that with even just Google Search right now. Up yeah. top and center, you you actually have. Um, I don't know what the bard um yeah, right, that's right. right yeah. and mm-hmm. all my all my 12 blue links get pushed down and and yeah. that 
And I can see a world where that might just become the interface very soon yeah. because yeah. I believe, uh, I think 78% of all searches on Google are anyways natural language based. So mm -hmm. I think that that is the state that we're in right now. And what will happen is we will slowly shift towards that state in the context of not just the consumer side of things, but also the enterprise side of things. The enterprise side of things are looking at all of these amazing models and saying, oh, the models have been trained on a lot of public data. What if we trained it on our own personal data? And what would what would that end up looking like? So you can yeah. imagine pharma company you know, uploading a model uh, or training a model with all of their historical data and saying, what's the next drug or, or how, what does the next drug discovery experience actually look like? Yeah. Uh, the automotive company and saying, uh, I love this example, the Mercedes-Benz example that, that somebody put, pushed up uh, on, on Twitter um, a few months ago, is you can, you can build a concept car in a very beautiful kind of a way if you just use mid-journey out of the box, but it does not adhere to the aesthetics and the design language of large automotive makers and companies. So imagine uploading all of Merck's design aesthetics into a model and teaching a model what yeah. Mercedes actually stands for yeah. and what it essentially look like. So what you're what you're describing is is what we are calling in 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 our companies uh, and maybe in other companies as well. So there's like a, there's an LLM, right? A large learning model or whatever it is that that basically you sort of it's basically refers to everything on earth that's out there public and you sort of mess with it and your stuff goes public. And then what we're calling an LKM, a large knowledge model, which is essentially our own internal stuff. So we've right. done that, right? We are when we're building RFIs and RFP responses right now, it's because we've built an LKM just on our own personal business. Or when I talk to clients now about design systems, I'm essentially saying like, this is how you're going to train your LKM to be able to build websites that actually are reflective of your personal brand and not something else. Um, but I, I mean, I, I that's a very caveman kind of version of it right now, I would argue. Um, but the other thing you kind of talk about, Suf, is is the absolute collapse of things that we have long sort of thought of a little bit as separate. And so like you, you actually sort of talk, maybe let's, let's get right into it. You talk a little bit about Figma and, and what is the, the future of a tool like that when design and coding potentially become one thing when the sort of like the, 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 the uh, coding language of the future is English. Um, yeah. So like, talk a little bit about the merger of design and code. Yeah, I think the way the way that I put it is, you know, I've I've used Figma since since it was like a twenty member organization, and mm -hmm. since um, it was just a fig before it grew into the whole <laughs> mud. <laughs> no, um, it was. And, seed. and I yeah. think that to see what Figma brought to the table was WebGL got introduced. It became easy to collaborate in the browser. Mm -hmm. And Photoshop was our de facto tool. So Barry, when when you and I were working together, and Phil, you would remember we would do, do wireframes in InDesign, and then yep. something translated into Photoshop and Illustrator and, and all of that good stuff. Mm -hmm. Those tools were not built for software design. They were right, right. graphic tools, and they did a good job at that. And what Figma brought and what Sketch brought to the table was a very simple uh, layouting tool for software design. Yeah. Fundamentally, if you really are, like, think about it, 
the construct of a designer pushing pixels and arranging patterns on a screen has not changed. And what right. I am trying to get at and what, what D is trying to get at as well is we believe the, the, the design to code barrier was, was really broken by Squarespace. So a lot of credit goes to them mm-hmm. where you can build a very, very beautiful website without having to touch a single line of code by just moving those pixels around or even speaking to a designer because their templates are so beautiful. And we're beginning to see Framer do that right now. We're beginning to see Details Pro do that now. Uh, Play Interactive or Create with Play do that right now. Yeah. So yeah. what's going to happen is the notion of a specific design tool where designers arrange pixels and move atoms on the screen, that construct is, is fundamentally going to break. Um, and I'm already seeing that. The um, when When OpenAI demoed their first GPT-4 version, they showed a very rudimentary skill of just describing a website and having a fully functional website thrown out there. Now, there to a fully functional, beautiful, high-quality design uh, experience, we're not that far away, right? Um, We're still, like, some startup is going to figure that out and some startup is going to scale that, and it's just a matter of time. The next layer of that is, well you have to be able to understand that the construct and the paradigm still assumes a designer is the one, whether he's, or he or she is pushing the pixels and arranging patterns to using AI to do that. But then what happens if you really fundamentally question the need for an individual to arrange those patterns while using AI? LLMs are very, very capable of having rich back-to-back chain of thought conversations with you right now, mm-hmm. right? and have a deep conversation with chat GPT and continue going and on and on and on. Now, the, the, the sheer layers of permutations and combinations possible, even just between the three of us, for a simple experience like planning a vacation, right? I'm sure Phil will go out in a different way. You will <laughs> go out in a different way, Barry, and I would prefer a very different approach of planning a vacation. Now, yeah. We have to recognize that what this technology brings is scale in customizing and personalizing and tailoring customer experiences at that level. So what we're shifting to is away from the need for a designer to imagine every single screen, every single step, every single flow, to now the model being able to predict what the next appropriate step is and arranging a screen for that. So now mm-hmm. you have to ask the question, well, what is a designer doing in that context? Yeah, uh, yeah. Thing that that is the scary question for me. Uh, scary, but also exciting if you do what you recommend, which is hop on the train now. By the yeah. way, my vacation planning chat GPT-4 is my wife. And uh, so... <laughs> yeah, and it's a conversational experience, Sue, yeah. just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Indeed, uh, indeed. <laughs> What bubbles up? We're headed to, we're headed to Japan after India uh, mm. to spend some time there. And the sheer creativity of using Bing AI, but yeah. because Bing is connected to all the online properties and it has plugins, um, the sheer creativity in discovering things that are so specifically uniquely tailored to your taste mm. is just... It's, and and that, and those are not flows 
uh, that that you know, even if you hired 500 yeah. designers, you're not going to come up with that on a journey map. I was no. going to say yeah. there's no service blueprints uh, for that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm glad I'm glad you're bringing in those those words because <laughs> those words haunted me for a long time. But yes, no, no journey map, no service blueprint can help you figure that out. Totally, yeah. totally. Uh, so, so, so we're getting into this sort of, you know, changing the whole sort of frame, uh, and, um, and, and mindset and, you know, also credit or creditors do, I mean, I Figma, I think bought, uh, was it dialogue? And so they have a I bit of a conversational interaction they're getting there, but it's, it is still to your point, essentially a spec and ship model for a linear workflow based on 25 year old software development lifecycle methodologies that I would totally agree are on the cusp of dying. Um, and, yeah. but it could be, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Phil. You don't need tools to optimize the designer workflow using AI. You need tools to optimize the creation workflow using AI. So I think that that, that is the fundamental disconnect. hundred uh, percent. And I, we're going to talk about the transition from designer to creator uh, and, and creation as, mm. as the paradigm shift uh, mm. in a second. But, there, there are some things that are happening that are quite interesting when you talk about the, uh, because ultimately we're still humans who have taste and can make some taste making decisions yeah. that are, that are augmented and sped up and made more efficient by these tools. Talk to us a little bit about one of those tools that is starting to merge these things, which is the, uh, I think it's called core interpreter. It's a Microsoft product that, um, you know, is training models on pattern recognition to build whole flows the likes of what you were just kind of describing for sort of a vacation planner where you don't have to do a journey map and spend six weeks or 10 weeks or whatever it is coming up with that flow. It decides those things on the fly. Uh, yeah. Is that going to help us get out of the SDB blueprinting? Uh, fire not, trap? Not, not yet. Right. So even though the title, the, the title of the report is called the end of design, I, I don't think it's going to happen immediately. I think it's going to be a gradual and slow burning death. Uh, yeah. I think what's, what's, what's going to happen is, and I think you're also seeing this in the decline in usage across some of these LLMs and across some of these. Uh, yeah, yeah. Periods. And that is because there is a fundamental disconnect with there is a paradigm that I'm used to, which is kicking buttons and, and pushing things on a screen to now suddenly almost giving away the control to a chat mm -hmm. GPT and saying, okay, you come up with this. Mm -hmm. And we're in that phase where we still need these models to have access to a lot of information, right? right. Have yeah. access to yeah. personal preferences, which I think through custom preferences has, has begun to create the inroad <clears throat> in chat GPT. So you can save your, for those of you who don't know and who haven't used it in GPT-4 yet, you can go and tell chat GPT, here are my custom preferences. I prefer short answers and precise answers versus long, elaborate answers. Here's my background. So understand that this is the knowledge that I generally bring. Here's my expertise and so on. So then you would see those, those answers and responses tailored to that. So I think that there's still a lot of fundamental uh, plumbing work that needs to be done in order to elevate yeah. these experiences. But beyond that, there's also context that needs to be stitched, right? My context is still, I use the, I use the iPhone. Um, and you know, Apple still doesn't have a lot of those experiences baked in. So there is right. there is that fundamental disconnect where whether mm -hmm. you're in the Android ecosystem or the on the Apple ecosystem, a lot of this technology are still available through siloed apps versus a whole connected experiences. The same yep. things happen 
in the enterprise. Although I would argue that we're making a huge leap in the enterprise space because you have customers completely coming and endorsing this in a secure and privacy protected kind of a way to allow their employees to play with that data. So I think that what needs to happen is that is that shift of the tools, uh, the experiences have to get better because the current state is, is going to diminish, uh, not just in training data, but also in the experiences. And once those experiences are figured out and once you are, are able to build a, a Phil GPT, a Barry GPT, a Souf GPT, uh, which I think is still a big computer yeah. problem. Yeah. But to be able to tailor that, that's when you will start seeing a huge leap in, in personalizing those experiences for yeah. every individual. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I it's funny. I was uh, <clears throat> I I watched the uh, the sequel to Tron. What was the sequel to Tron called? Tron Two or something like that. I can't remember. Close enough. Let's go with yeah, that. Yeah, we'll yeah. go with that. Tron <laughs> Legacy. Were, Tron That's Legacy. Right. Thank That's you, right. Sue. Yeah. You would know, of course, you nerd. So there you go. <laughs> so, but uh, uh, they were talking about so Jeff Bridges's character is like we're building the perfect system. We're building the perfect system, but then there these sort of things came out, and they were trying to sort of debug the system basically by killing all these whatever they were called. I can't remember. But I I think a little bit about it, and I think a lot of these tools are really so remarkable. But the bugs in the current system right now are us. We it's it's like mm. getting people to kind of understand how to write prompts, how to think about the sort of logic you have to go through to develop an idea in a slightly different way. I mean, I, as much as I know we're trying to improve some of these tools and kind of make them more intuitive and more fluent, I actually think that the biggest thing that at least I'm trying to focus on is trying to get myself and trying to get my team um, practice and reps to kind of just using them more frequently. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, what advice do you have for folks Suf, who are, trying to kind of adjust, adjust because it isn't my point is the way you almost have to approach a problem is actually slightly different than the, that you don't you necessarily follow the same steps i think that i normally go through in creativity like what are you what are you seeing that really smart companies are doing to try to get some of their employees or their designers more fluent in using all of the myriad of tools that are out there right now uh so I, I have I have the I'm I'm extremely blessed to be working in an organization where mm. we get to think about these problems. Shameless plug. It's uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but but no, truly, I'm I'm surrounded by people who understand the technology deep down, right? Mm. Which essentially is, is it's a statistical parrot. It's the the the, the, the technology is, is brilliant. It's magical. It's nothing. It's like, a statistical like, parrot. Is that what you uh, called it? That's awesome. Yeah, Basically, predicting what the next best word is in in the logic order, and then through backdrop, and and we I'm not going to get too technical about this, but it's arranging sentences based on what yeah. the next best word is, and then goes over there. Mm -hmm. um, and what we're what we still don't have are there's there's a layer of logic reasoning. There's a there's a layer of personalization. Mm -hmm. There's a layer of memory involved that. I think should be a lens that designers should bring, right? Designers right now, and I have to have to get involved in the current state of the system, pick up on, I'm not saying go, go get an engineering degree, not at all. I'm saying pick up on where the current state of the system is today and understand what would make this a more beautiful experience 
and have deeper conversations with engineering about how to get there. And that's essentially what, what, what my, my role and my team is actually doing, right? We don't push pixels at all. Mm-hmm. Like we actually write papers about here's what we think the next 10x version of this experience is going to be and setting up the pathways for researchers, computer science researchers and machine and AI researchers to go out and figure out those things. And mm-hmm. another layer about that is there's a lot of ethics involved. And I think Mark, uh-huh. and, Mark yeah. and Reese says this very beautifully. Who's ethics, right? Like, mm-hmm. who, yeah. who gets to decide? And I think that that's a fundamentally the whole different equation. So if you're not interested in the engineering side of things, there is an opportunity to get involved in the ethics side of things and, and build in mm. certain guardrails around systems and how those systems should, should react. So if you're a designer who is still pushing pixels, my, my recommendation is, sure, you can push pixels for the next five to 10 years, but you're fundamentally shifted. And, and just look at how, how much of a leap this technology has made in the last like 10 months. Unbelievable. Uh, Crazy. So mm-hmm. I'd say I'd say you can push pixels for the next five years, but understand that this is where you're actually headed. Um, and I also come from a from a, a land where I push pixels for a living at one point in time. Totally. Yep. The last five years, I've been very very deliberate about shifting away from that notion of design to now taking the exact same thing of things that we've learned about what good design is, like storytelling and 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 crafting beautiful experiences, mm. into understanding the technology well enough to have meaningful conversations with engineers and AI researchers so you can influence these experiences early on in the process versus receiving a chat GPT link and experiencing and saying, oh, I wish these things could be added. Because not you have to understand that the majority of this technology is built by AI researchers who have engineering backgrounds, and which is why your chat GPT experience is so simple. You can yeah. imagine what it yeah. looked like if you had the design in the room early on. <laughs> mm. Yeah, very true. Very true. Let's shift it left. Let's keep shifting left. So yeah. let's let's turn the corner a little bit to to chapter three of your report, which is about predictions and and what's to come. And for those who uh, think this is a, a dystopian nightmare, it's not. It's actually quite hopeful, um, and it's really about possibilities. I mean, that's what Suf does for a living, as you just described. Um, and there's there's just so many possibilities and so many places where this could go, given. The sort of uh, what is essentially Moore's law of the last ten months. Who knows mm. what the next ten months is, is going to mm. bring? So, one one question to start this 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 part of the dialogue. We've give, been giving a lot of discussion, especially last season and the season before that, about design systems. Mm. We had Dan Mall on. Mm. Uh, we've 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 talked about you know this with a lot of people. And uh, uh, what do, what is the role of a design system? when pattern recognition large language models can essentially you know crank this stuff out very quickly yeah that's a that's a very good question and i think i have a i have a little bit of a criticism of the the emphasis of the design craft centering around design systems Mm. Uh, i think that we have taken design systems too seriously because we have struggled historically to create value as designers within organizations and justify our craft and justify our need. Mm-hmm. But we found that one inroad and saying, hey, with code and engineers, here's how they build stuff, which means they need systems at scale. We need a good replication of that in design system. And right. 
you know, you can you can you can talk to all the mature organizations out there. You will still see disconnects between what is in the Sigma file and what is in in code, right? And totally. that's just and we know all that. Yeah. yeah. A world where you can train a model by simply recognizing all the patterns on mobin.design, which is a beautiful, beautiful website that has, if you don't know, it has all the patterns, it has all the flows, it has all the atoms and molecules that one would expect from a design system. You can train a lot of those pixels on an existing style from your brand design guideline mm -hmm. to simply lift and shift and create new patterns. I think that, again, that's just a compute problem. Yep. The minute somebody figures that out, you will have a fully functioning experience. Yeah. Um, I think that there is a, the, the emphasis on design system has been good, but the notion is shifting away from design teams having to use and manage design systems to, it doesn't matter what a design system is in the future because an AI model is going to predict what the next screen should be. And as yeah. long as to your brand design guidelines it knows what pattern to arrange and then that's the that's the context of the flow yeah well, that goes what? to your that's to goes to your hypothesis barry that the bugs in the system are us yeah so remove well, us and just it's train true. the model it'll be yeah. Yeah. perfect look there's a 10 there's ten thousand questions i think we and we could go on for hours and hours here phil like i predicted another lightweight sort of like short <laughs> conversation with Suf here right. not um but uh but like of all the predictions you're kind of making in your report, what do you, what's the one that you've maybe got the most reaction to, or, or most people are kind of surprised by Suf? If you could sort of sum it up for us. It, yeah, I think that a lot of people had thought about, yes, as a designer, I'll have to pick up on AI and those skills. And I would argue that as of today, the state of the art and the technology is you have to be thoughtful about what you write and have the model churn out the response that you need. But in the future, it's not going to matter because the model is going to be able to create more intelligence and drive a lot of things more preemptively versus just react to what you're writing. Yeah. I think that, but, but then a lot of designers had not thought about, well, now an AI model could arrange the screen. So what am I doing? And I think that that was the point that hit a lot of the designs. We're, we're actually up until 17K downloads right now. Mm. And... My email has been blowing up with that was the point that I gravitated towards the most. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and, and again, that's a question that even I'm struggling, which is why I wrote the report. I'm, I'm struggling with that. It's like, what happens to my craft and my role when I'm not the one designing it, but the system is designing it. So what the mm -hmm. hell am I doing? Organization? Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Uh, I think that that is the one that hit, hit everybody the hardest. Um, and again, not not to have a clickbait title, the end of design report was meant to create a, a, an argument about the need to pay attention to this in a different way versus mm -hmm. just saying, let's go adopt chat GPT and let's go adopt AI tools and become smarter designers. No, 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 that's, that's not the point of the design. Uh, the entire report as an example, um, if you've seen the visuals, Right, we have some very, very beautiful visuals that were made entirely by Dali. Yep. Yep. If I had to commission those pieces of artwork by actual designers, that report would probably cost me like ten million dollars, and it would take <laughs> probably a year to, to, yes. to create. That's yes. right. And mm -hmm. 
what I think is is going to happen is you really have to pay attention to and go beyond simply adopting design and, and AI in that construct to really thinking about your role is fundamentally going to shift because we, we already have PMs creating Figma mocks, right? Because Figma has yeah. made it easy for yeah. anybody to create things. So yeah. In, yeah. in the future, we're going to shift away from being a designer to being a creator. And I think everybody is going to be as well. And yeah. the same happening in a programming standpoint, right? A lot of junior designers, the, the zero to two year entry level programmers are not going to exist because GPT-4 is exceptional at structured programming, right? Yep. Yep. It's able to go out and, and, and create you know, patterns and, and, and identify what's in your code base and then recognize what, what layers of code you need to write. So the entire layer of zero to two, and I'd, I'd, I'd argue zero to four years of and a software engineer is completely gone. So for yep. them, they have to get smarter about going higher up and across the stack, both horizontally and vertically, by using uh, you know VS Code and and using uh, GitHub Copilot X um, to to then think about how does their role actually change. And the same thing's happening across product as well. It's like okay, yep. now you teams of one who are able to create fully functional experiences. The Flappy Bird example was the one that blew me away. Uh, the entire Flappy <laughs> Bird game was, was recreated by an engineer over a weekend, mm-hmm. which frankly took the entire studio a good like year, year and a half to create. Yeah. With massive teams of people communicating with each other. Um, so the more optimistic end of the, of the report is you now will have the ability that you did not have before to create more meaningful experiences that are fully functional, that you can launch uh, without having to think about, oh, I need an engineering partner and I need a, I need a product partner to do all of these things. So as much as your role, I would say, in value is going to disintegrate, you're also now being empowered with this technology that mm. have, frankly, a lot of storytelling you have a lot of understanding of what good flows look like. You have an, you you speak the user's voice, and I'd say use those things with the with the new technology to create newer experiences. Yeah, yeah, Beautiful awesome, said. excellent. Well, you said it all. Actually, there's probably a whole <laughs> lot, and it sounds like you're going to say more in about a year uh, with with another report called uh, the Dawn of New Design. We won't, uh, we, spoiler alert, uh, it's coming out in about a year's time. I don't know if you want to talk about that before we go into the steel, but uh, we're looking forward to maybe an even more hopeful statement uh, in about a year's time. At this point in time, however, I think yeah. we're going to pivot to the steel. So at the end of every episode, Suf, as you know, all too well at this point, uh, we, uh, we, we'd like to think about, you know, all the parts of the conversation and what things we're going to take with us, uh, and steal for future use. Barry, of all the things that Suf talked about this evening, what are you going to steal? Well, I, I, I'm going to dive right into, I think sort of the overall spirit that I, I got from reading this really, really long, really deep report. And that is, it's a spirit of optimism, right? Mm -hmm. And so the thing that I can really dive into is, you know, there are all these sort of folks who I think are very afraid of this thing and very worried about the ethics of this thing. But I think that uh, fundamentally, the people who are AI optimists are the people who are really going to rise here. And and the thing that I, I also sort of take away from what Suf is, is talking about here in the end of design is um, 
Uh, it's, it's something that I think has kind of fueled my career and really fueled a lot of people who have kind of enjoyed uh, being in this business. And so like I get bored if I'm doing the same thing for too long. I like to evolve. I like to get new challenges and opportunities. And I think for some people that means, oh, they hop around and they take jobs to different places over and over again. For me, <laughs> for Phil, I'd see if you can both relate to this. I just had to stay at the same company and just watch the company change like four or five times, like sort of while I was in it. I would have a different job every couple of years. Uh, but ultimately, um, I think more than anything, I've been able to be a creator through all of it, through my advertising career, through my early sort of like digital marketing career, through my sort of digital experience design career to whatever it is I'm doing right now around experience transformation. And I think that that's the way that I'm going to embrace all of this stuff here, that I think I'm still going to be a creator. I think a lot of the tasks that I'm doing right now might might change, and I'm going to do very different tasks. Um, but I'm still going to be able to create things, and I think I'm going to be able to create new and better and more amazing things, frankly, than if I were still sort of cranking away on the existing tools that I have right now. And so I'm really optimistic. And when I talk to clients about generative AI and the excitement that I hope that they have, that that's what I'm trying to convey to them, that I think that... There's a real opportunity for people who are going to look at this wide-eyed and be excited about what it means to be a creator with this kind of like form of partner and tool. And uh, that's what I'm going to take away. Phil, what are you going to steal from the conversation? Yeah, no, a lot of the same sentiments. I mean, <clears throat> first of all, I'm going to steal two things. The first thing I'm going to steal is, this is for all of our listeners, if ever given a choice between, between drinking Michelob Ultra and drinking nothing, choose <laughs> nothing. <laughs> this is like water wow. yeah uh, uh i mean this is what you drink on the golf course when it's 90 degrees out i mean this yeah. is not this is not something to enjoy while while imbibing so that's the first thing the second thing though <clears throat> i think suf and his brother chose their words very carefully when titling the report it's called mm. the end of design it's not called the end of designers yeah and for years and years and years we we've we've been talking about convergence Hmm. And, you know, any creative person, and by the way, a creative person doesn't mean they are a designer by trade. Hmm. It's the root word of create. And uh, whether you're in advertising or design or product or engineering, you can create, which is basically uh, uh, putting something into the ether that did not exist before. Yes. Right. Uh, and that is that paradigm shift should be embraced to hmm. create at scale and volume and size and and beauty never before uh possible should be the most exciting thing for any person with a creative bone in their body mm. and to be able to do that in a weekend as as opposed to toiling away for for hours and hours and hours late at night kind of like we're doing right now uh, <laughs> with, uh, uh and and with the bags under your eyes to and the scars in your back to show it wouldn't you embrace that? Wouldn't you want that kind of life uh, and and get out and and live your life to go back and create later on? That that seems like a really enticing proposition, and so designers need to worry about those other things. Okay, they need to be worried more about creation than than just uh, the 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 preciousness of what they deem creativity and and. Um, and you made that shift about five years ago. Some of us are a little bit later to to the to the dance than others, but 
don't just take the the the, the negative sort of dystopian uh, angle on it. Read the report first of all, mm. and then second of all, take action because yeah. uh, it, it's never too late to learn. Uh, yeah. as evidenced by our respective ages and uh, the fact that we're embracing <laughs> this technology. Yeah, now. yeah. Like for day today, <laughs> Phil learned not to drink Michelob Ultra. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Sooth, give give our listeners some maybe more specific instructions. Where can they find the report? Uh, hopefully, in the link of this of this post that you posted up. <laughs> well done. Well done. Yep. Yes. Yes. Good. So on on the official What Bubbles Up channel, you will mm-hmm. see a link to the report that you can download. <laughs> we'll gladly we'll gladly post the link. Yeah, yeah. But, or, they can get it from your personal or, website as well. Yeah, yeah. Or your personal website. Yes. All right. Wonderful. Well, we will post this. Suf, so thank you for joining us. So this was a, a, a fascinating conversation. We're really excited. I'm thrilled to see how this article has taken off. Um, and uh, we look forward to uh, our conversations every time. I mean, thank you for joining us from India, where it's the morning here uh, for, for you. You're just starting. Our day is ending. But uh, yeah, Phil, what do you think? You you want to kind of like rock and roll to the close here? Let's close it out. All right. Uh, people of Earth, thank you for uh, listening to another incredible episode of What Bubbles Up. Thank you, Sue, for joining us from Bangalore. And uh, for all of you listeners out there who have not yet subscribed to What Bubbles Up, please subscribe or tell your friends to subscribe or tell your friends' parents to subscribe. We need more subscribers. Um, Of course, you can find all of the episodes of What Bubbles Up uh, broadcast all the time across Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Spotify, and a whole bunch more. Or, of course, you can see the entire catalog by just simply looking up whatbubblesup.com. Phil? Absolutely. If you want to get in touch with us, please feel free to do so by emailing us at whatbubblesup at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And I think we have a Threads uh, account as well. Yes. For, for those who don't want to be on X. Sorry, not Ugh. Twitter, but X. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and thank you so much, by the way, to Sue Sayed, the scion of AI research mm. at Microsoft. Thank you. We will see you on the next episode of What Bubbles Up. Cheers. What Bubbles Up. What Bubbles Up. My feels pumping off my podcast. What bubbles up?